I want to welcome you to part two of this 10-part series, which is called Become Beautiful. And look how we're doing you. Be you. Be you. Because that's beautiful. But listen, don't just be the lowest version of you. Don't be just, well, that's just the way I am you. What if you could become the very best version of you? What if you could be sincerely beautiful from the inside out? What if you could become you that God created you to be? That's what we're talking about for 10 weeks together. If you were here last weekend, we learned this little agricultural principle, and I was raised on blacktop, so uh, Jesus' agricultural examples were lost on me. I really had to look them up. What does that mean? He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you're going to bear much fruit. And I thought, what, what does that even mean? But I've, I've been to vineyards, so I thought, okay, let's just figure this out. So the vine comes out of the ground, that's the root, that's where all the new nutrients uh, come from, it all flows through the vine, the branches are the parts we see, and then from the branches are the grapes. It's like, okay, I get this. And then Jesus said, but if the branch is cut off from the vine, it can do nothing. And I thought, well, that makes sense to me too, because if it doesn't have a life source, it's soon going to die. How many of you are with me so far? Right? And so that's what we learned last week. So by his power, if we're connected to the vine, he changes our temperament, and our personality, and our attributes. So instead of you being temperamental, you become calm. Instead of you being abrasive, you become kind. Instead of people saying, he's a real character, you end up being a person with character. How cool is that? That's what God does. So last week, we just did an overview of this series about how this is going to work. And we did use the three images. And we talked about the vine and the branch and if it's cut off and all of that. But we also talked about a sailboat. And we talked about the keel of a sailboat, the weight that's attached to the bottom of a sailboat that extends down into the water under the hull of the boat. And it's what gives weight and heft and strength and stability to the boat so that when rough seas come or high winds come, the boat is held steady by the keel. It's the unseen strength of the boat. And then we talked about a hiking trail. 2,000 feet up, a narrow path on one side, a deadly fall. On the other side, the rock face of an immovable, strong mountain. And to keep your equilibrium on that narrow path, looking over the edge and your stomach does that flip, you know that flip I'm talking about? Instead of falling off the mountain, you lean into the mountain. You lean against the solid rock and you walk. You lean and you walk. And we learned last weekend that Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Jesus is the keel, the unseen part of us, the strength of us underneath the waterline. And Jesus is that immovable mountain. We lean on him and we walk. That was all last week. Now, if you weren't here last week, you can go to Spotify, you can go to Amazon Music, you can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to our church website, because the message is there, it just lives there. So you can go and you can hear it, or you can watch it, or you can hear it again, or you can refer a friend to it. So now today, we're actually going to get into the very first topic. Last weekend was overview. The very first topic of our 10-week series is the topic of love. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be loved? 
Yeah, that's almost everybody here. A couple of you are like, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. How many of you want help loving other people? Let me see. Let me see your hands. Okay, so here's what I want you to notice. Almost everybody's hand went up on those first two questions. Let's see if we can go three for three. How many of you are sometimes hard to love? Yeah, there they are. There they are. I was hoping you'd raise them because I know that. I know that about us, right? The teaching today is actually going to touch on every life because everybody in this room has a profound need to be loved. But listen, that's not all we have a need for. We also have a need to love. It's love coming through us and we extend it to other people. I want you to look at the uh, verse on your outline. This is our operating verse for, uh, for the series. If I can bring it up here. Is it coming up? No? Did the system go down? Something? And it's coming back up. So in the meantime, do you have it on your sheet? Let's look on your sheet. And then, you know, the real spiritual ones here, you've got this memorized. Yeah, I got the New Testament, you know. I just, I memorized it in the Greek, but that's, you know, that's different. Here we go. Here we go. Yo, here we go. We got it. Good, good, good. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Let's say them together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And today, we're going to actually look at the very first one. We're going to look at love. Guess what we're going to look at next week? And we're going to go right down the list, all right? Look at this next verse. I love this. Go after love as if your life depended on it. Say this with me. Because it does. Today, we're going to learn that genuine love is a radical truth. When I say love, I'm not going to be talking about some romantic, feely, touchy uh, notion. I'm actually talking about something that's supernatural. I'm not talking about something you can create by yourself. You must be connected to the vine, your life source, to get the nutrients you need to produce the kind of love I'm going to talk about. And when we love the best, we'll live the best. Let's say it. When I love the best, I will live the best. I'm going to give you a snapshot about how life-changing love is. I mean, it's life-changing. There was a news story about a hate filled, violent mob. And they were unleashing their anger on one person who didn't think the way they did, didn't believe the way they did, and mob mentality took over. I don't know if you've ever been in a setting where like a mob mentality uh, uh, takes over. When I was in high school, there was a riot in my high school. And, and I just remember, you know, students just got crazy and running down the halls and, you know, tearing open lockers and throwing trash cans and setting things on fire. And it's like, what just happened? But it's like, once it starts, it builds and it's really, really scary. How many of you remember like the LA riots? Like there's, there's just something about, I would never do it alone. But there's something kind of contagious about that energy, and people just jump into the mob. And that's what was going on in this story. And, and the rage 
of that mob was all pointed toward one man. And like a boxer, you know when boxers come into the ring, they have on like their satin robe. These guys are taking off their coats so that they could get ready for the fight. And they all give their coats to this one man. He's part of their gang. And he's holding their coats, this one gang member. But he's complicit and he is screaming to kill this victim. This victim is alone, he's isolated, he's against the cold wall of a stone building, and he's looking at this crowd, and this crowd goes nuts. They start yanking the rocks from the dirt so that they can hurl those small boulders at this man, and his bones are breaking, and his skin is tearing. And he bled out and died right there in the street. You know, all mobs think they're right. That's the frightening power of mob mentality. All mobs think they're right. They always think they're right. They think they're right in their beliefs. Therefore, they think they're right in their violence. Always right. And that mob that day believed they were right, that their hatred was justified, that his beliefs required him to die. And once that mob was satisfied that that man was dead, this hate-filled, hate-fueled group put their coats back on and they walked away. And that hate-filled, hate-fueled man who'd held the coats also walked away. His bloodlust was satisfied. The man who was killed that day was a church leader. His name was Stephen, and his story is recorded forever in the Bible. And the man who was so hateful, who held the coats, his name was Saul. Years later, the man Saul, the hateful member of that gang, a man complicit in murder, one day that man Saul was confronted by Jesus. And his life changed forever. I mean, he was so dramatically transformed that he didn't even keep his old name. He he picked up the name Paul. And we know Paul as one of the writers of our New Testament. And Paul, this newly made beautiful man, wrote the famous chapter in the Bible, we call it the love chapter. Some of you probably had it read at your wedding or you've heard it, you know, love is patient, love is kind. This man who was once such a hater became such a genius about what love meant in his life, what it means for us. And Paul, this former murderer, wrote the part of the Bible that we're studying for these 10 weeks, and the part of the fruit of the Spirit that he starts out with is this attribute of love. So here's a profound question. I want you to just ponder this question. How can you go from being so hate-filled like he was to being a person who so embodies God's kind of love? How do you go from being a killer, a killer, to being someone who loves? To love God's way is nothing short of a miracle. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And listen, 
For me, well, I'm going too fast. I told you this is going to be interesting. <laughs> For me to become truly beautiful, I need what? How many of you know that? Yeah. Now, this kind of beauty, you want this beautiful life? It's going to begin with love. It's interesting that God does start this whole list of nine characteristics with love. It's kind of like God is saying, listen, if you don't get the first one right, you're not going to get the rest of them right. If we don't get this one right, we're never going to live the life that we were created to live. And you know why I think he started with love? Because this one's hard. This one's hard. It's really hard to love the way we should. I mean, we, we, we actually try to get out of our responsibility to love God's way. I heard about a Christian husband who went to a counselor for marriage counseling, but the truth of it was he went to justify all the reasons he wanted to get out of the marriage. And so he told this Christian counselor, he said, you know, our marriage is really dead. There, there's no passion there. We don't feel about each other like a husband and wife should actually feel about each other. It's more like we're just neighbors living under the same roof. And the counselor said, oh, good, because the Bible says, love your neighbor. <laughs> Man said, no, 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 it's worse than that. We fight like cats and dogs. We don't get along at all. It's really, it's not like we're neighbors. It's really like we're enemies. And the counselor said, oh, good. The Bible says, love your enemies. The man was really frustrated at that point. He says, you're not hearing me. He said, I'm, I'm dying in this marriage. And he said, oh, good. Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And he died for her. You know what we look for? We look for love loopholes. We look for exceptions to the rule. We look for ways we can opt out of this. But listen, there is no way to become the person you were created to be without what? Without learning to love. Now, you may be sitting next to someone that you don't know, and this is going to be awkward, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, I need love. I need love. We just do. We just do. So somehow, somehow, we have to, we have to get it. So with your outline in front of you, we're going to break this down. You ready to go? Yeah? Who's ready? All right, here we go. First of all, I have to define it. Like, what do we mean by love anyway? We use the word love like almost every day, but it proves that we really don't understand the power of that word. We will say to a person, I love you, and within 10 minutes say, I love this bean burrito. I mean, it's just, that's just how we do it. Like, we'll use the same word all the time. When children were asked, what is love? Here are a couple of their responses. Tommy, age six, said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other. It's good. Lauren, age four said, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and she has to go out and buy new ones. <laughs> Wake up, Lauren. <laughs> okay. Marianne, age four, said, love is when your puppy licks your face, even after you left him alone all day. And this is why we have dogs, because cats lick themselves. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's the way it is. 
Karen, age seven, said, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> that's gas, uh, Karen. That's, that's what that is. Do we really know what love is? Do we really know what it is? A survey of teenagers revealed that to them, love was a romanticized notion that most often involved sex. Is that any different than what most adults think love is? We have a feeling that love is just a feeling. God's love and our love are so different. And I want to tell you how. Human love is temporary, but God's love is permanent. Like humans will say, I love you today, but tomorrow that just might change. I mean, it's like the woman who won the lottery. And she called her husband to tell him the news and she said, hurry and pack. And he said, should I pack for warm weather or cold? She said, I don't care. Just be gone before I get home. I mean, it's just like, well, that love story ended pretty abruptly. That's human love. But God's love is what? God's love's permanent. Human love is a because of love. God's love is an in spite of love. Like humans say, I love you because, because what you give me, because what you do for me, because you're good looking, because you're rich or whatever it is. It's very conditional. But God loves us not because of, God loves us in spite of. God says, I know all your faults. I know all your problems. I know everything you think. I know everything you do. And I love you in spite of that. That's some good news right there. In spite of love. Human love is transactional, but God's love is giving. See, we say, I love you, and because I love you, now you owe me something back. Tit for tat, it's scorekeeping. It's scorekeeping. It's not love. But God says, I'm just going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give with no promise that you'll ever do anything back for me, that you'll ever love me back, but God's kind of love compels him to just give and give and give. When the New Testament was written, they had five different words for love. Three were pretty common. If they meant like a love based on self-satisfaction or personal benefit, it was the word eros, which we get our word erotic, which is kind of like, you know, self-satisfying kind of love. If they meant the love of a friend or the love that companions share or the love between family members, they use the word phileo, which is the, the friend or companion or family kind of love. We get our word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love from that same root word. Now, both of those, I think, can actually be good in the right setting. The problem with both of those is that they're fickle. Eros and phileo can change. Eros and phileo don't really make a commitment, and eros and phileo really, end of the day, are about me and my need, and then conditions under which I will keep loving you. But when the Bible describes God's kind of love, the word agape is used, and that's the word that's used here in Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. This is the kind of love God wants to produce in you and me. It's the kind of love the Holy Spirit can create in us. Uh, you'll find that that's real different 
than pleasure-seeking love or transactional love or score-keeping love or brotherly love. See, I can love people at a level all by myself without God's help. But there is a level of love, agape love, that I cannot do. I cannot create outside of God's help. Agape decides I will commit myself to the well-being of the one I love, period. Now, I want you to notice this. doesn't say anything about what I'll get back. See, Eros had, well, I'll get a little pleasure back. Phileo is, well, we're family. You know, there's going to be probably some give and take in that. But this is just, I am just committed to you. No expectation. No guarantee I'll be loved back. No transaction. No scorekeeping. I just love you. And that hate-filled murderer, Saul, who had his heart completely transformed to understand this kind of love, told us what it's like. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. So you mean, Brad, if I'm impatient or unkind or I'm jealous or I'm arrogant around all of this or I'm a rude person to the person I say I love, then I don't really love them? That's exactly right. Not, not with God's kind of love. Brotherly love that comes and goes, maybe. Erotic love, because maybe the sex is good, but not, I'm here, I'm here, I'm in this. Like, you can't get to this without God's help. This kind of love doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. Uh, you know, this one man said, my wife gets hysterical when she's mad. This other guy said, my wife gets historical when she's mad, keeps bringing up the past. Well, no, no, because I just, I committed to love. I, I have, I've committed to be in this. And it's never glad about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth, whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love will last forever. There are three things that will endure. Faith, hope, and love. Now of those three, the greatest is love. Let love be your highest goal. Does that describe the kind of love that you give to everyone you've said you love? Are you that kind of lover all the time? Now, I don't ask that question to make any of us feel bad. I ask that question to actually inspire you because the scripture says God can create in us that kind of love. God can make us become that kind of lover. This kind of love is possible for every life. We have to define it like the standard is God's love. So, number two, I must accept it. I must accept it. Is God's love a personal reality in your life? Have you tasted it? Have you personally experienced God's love for you? Have you accepted his love into your heart? See, this is a, 
This is a personal reality for me. I had gotten to a place in my life when I thought I had so betrayed God's love that I'd actually broken God's love. I I thought he couldn't love me anymore. I actually believed that I had gone too far, stayed too long away, that God could not possibly still love me. But what I found out is that I was wrong. Do you even know how much God loves us? Do, Do you know how much God loves us? Like how God loves us. Before we loved him, God was already in love with us. See, one of the cool things about falling in love late in life, like Karen and I did, is we didn't do the game playing during our dating that we had done when we were younger kids dating. You know, when you're young and you're dating, there's a lot of game playing. It's like, well, I don't want to say it first. I love you. Or I don't, I don't want to show too much because if I show all my cards and they don't show their cards and there's this, well, I'll give you a peek. And I, you know what I'm talking about? But when you're old, it's like, here I am. It's what I got. Nothing else. I love you, you know. I mean, you're just, you're just who you are. There's a little more comfort level. And you're not afraid to say I love you first. Well, I was, Karen said it first. Oh, don't be bitter, baby. I finally said it, I finally said it. You know what? God said way before we said it back, I already love you. That man, Paul, that we talked about who held the coats, who was an accessory to murder, after Jesus changed his life, he wrote this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Look when he did it. While we were all still sinning, we were just running from God and he sent Jesus. We're not even looking for God and he sent Jesus. We're not even thinking about God and he sent Jesus to die to prove his love. And then this verse, long ago, before he even made the world, God loved us. I want you to think about the depth of this. Like if you were on God's heart before the world began, what do you think matters most to God? You do. You do. You were on his mind before you were even a thought in your daddy's heart. You were on God's mind. I mean, it's incredible. God loves us always. Always. It's not a fickle love. It's not a changing love. The Christian scriptures tell us this about God. Your love is unfailing. Your unfailing love is what? It's wonderful. And then God loves us unconditionally. Again, we talked about this. He said, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Everybody in this room wants to be loved like that. I do. I do. And then I like this next part of how God loves us. God loves believing for our best. Believing for our best. The scripture says love is always hopeful. God believes in you. God believes in you. He's hopeful about not only who you are, he's hopeful about who you can become. He sees the best in you, gives the benefit of the doubt to you. That's the nature of his love for you. God believes in you. I came across this quote, I just love it, from Sam Keen. You come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing an imperfect person perfectly. 
And that's how God loves us. That's how God sees you. He sees who you are for sure. But way beyond that, he sees who you can be. Jesus saw a floundering fisherman who was so erratic and all over the map and so up and down and so inconsistent. His name was Simon Peter. But Jesus saw something in him. He said, you're not going to be this flighty, inconsistent guy. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a new name. And it was Peter, Petros, which is the Greek word for rock, because I see stability that can be in you. I see a groundedness that could be in you. I see a strength that could be. People don't see it now. But Jesus said, Peter, I see it. So I'm just going to call you rock. On one afternoon, Jesus saw a future for an adulterous woman who had been brought to him. There was another mob, and they wanted to kill her that day. Jesus wouldn't allow it. And then he said to her, I don't condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. And it was as if Jesus was saying to her, I no longer see your past. What I see is your future. God extended his love to her because of what he saw for her. You want to know what God's love is like? He gave it first. He loves you always. He loves you unconditionally. And he believes in the person you can be, the person he created you to be. Friends, I need to be loved like this. You need to be loved like this. And guess what? The people around you need to be loved like this. We need this kind of love. We need it directly from God. We need this kind of love so that we can be changed. And then in turn, love others. If you were here last weekend, I talked about the life-giving power of that vine and how that life goes into the branch and how that branch cut off can do nothing. But if the branch stays connected, then eventually that branch grows fruit. That's how we give love. We first have to receive love. The love of Jesus from the vine flows into us. Then it flows through us to others. This is how God produces this kind of love in you. Does that make sense? First it's to you, then it's through you. First it's to you, then it's through you. Let's say it. First it's to you, then it's, then it's through you. Without love, let's just say this out loud. Without love... I would be no good to anybody. You can't give what you don't have. Neither do I, neither can I. If you haven't accepted the love of Jesus in you, there's no way that it can extend from you. Look at this verse. We love each other as a result of his loving us, what? First. So let's reflect. I have to define love, God's kind of love, agape love. And then I have to accept that love because I can't give what I don't have. And then the final point for this morning, I must practice sharing it. I must practice sharing it. Look what Jesus said. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Love of Jesus in us, now the love of Jesus from us. You with me? Look at this next one. Dear friends, since God loves us that much, we surely ought to what? Love each other. So how do I practice loving others? That's a great question. 
Well, love first, because that's how God loved us. Even if you are not loved back. Hang on. You can settle for transactional love. Scorekeeping love. I'll love you as much as you love me. I'll do for you as much as you do for me. I'll give to you as much as you give to me. I'll forgive you as much as you forgive me. You can settle for that. I think most people have. But if you want to elevate, like if you want to become who God created you to be, you will love at a different level. You will love in a different way. And it will be, I love you whether or not I am receiving what I think I need or want from you. Got quiet. I don't know if you're loving this or not. This is how God loved us. He didn't wait to be loved. He made the first move. He front-loaded. He didn't hold his love back. He didn't say, I'll give a little bit, see what they do. He front-loaded all of his love. This is risky stuff. To extend beyond ourselves, to love another who may not love us back, that is risk. But it's also love. C.S. Lewis, theologian, said it well, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. But it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. Is that what you want? Impenetrable, is that what you want? Irredeemable, is that what you want? The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all the dangers of love is hell. You'll be safe, but you'll never know love. So start now to reach beyond yourself. Make a decision to not live isolated. You know, we can even be isolated in church. How many of you generally sit in the same general area when you come in? Generally. Unless somebody takes your seat and you look at them very unloving. And <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice love for about two minutes. And I'm, I'm calling this arms distance love. Arms distance love. However many people, if you're reaching toward them and they're reaching toward you, you could actually touch fingers. All right? Arms distance love. I want you to take two minutes right now and I want you to give that person your name. Oh, I've done it before. Yeah, but they forgot. And they're embarrassed to ask you for it again. And you know what? You've forgotten their name too. So give each other your name, look, in the, look them in the eye, and say, I'm really, really glad you're here. Two minutes. Let's do it.
That's good. That's good. All right. Let me give you part two. Here's your, here's your homework. They're out of control. You let people love, right? Listen, let me tell you what we're going to do now. That was part one. Here's part two. Because most of you said you generally sit in the same area every week, I want you to keep doing that. Because what I want you to do next week is for the people that you just met, I want you to do the exact same thing. Give your name because they're embarrassed to ask for it. They'll give you their name because you're embarrassed to ask for it. And you're going to say again, I am so glad you're here. And I want to tell you, after two or three weeks of that, you will begin to feel connected to people you've been sitting near, some of you for years, and really did not connect. And we're just going to knock that off around here. All right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, love doesn't make the world go round. It just makes the ride worthwhile. And so we're going to learn to do that together. Okay, next point. Keep loving even when it hurts. See, usually it's I'll love you until it hurts. This is I will love you even when it hurts. I'm going to read you a very odd verse from the Bible. Very odd. Very odd verse from the Bible. And then I'll explain the story behind it. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea. Hosea was a a prophet to Israel and, and so he was God's spokesman, okay? Let's just say he was like the pastor of the town. He was, he, God spoke to him and he would share with the, the people what God was telling him. That was Hosea. And, and God said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Dang, I didn't know that was in the Bible. <laughs> Some of her children will be born to you from other men. Bible's a cool book. You don't even know some of the stuff that's in there. (laughs) This will illustrate the way my people have been untrue to me. It's an amazing story in the Old Testament. Hosea, a spokesman for God to the nation Israel. Israel was no longer in love with God. And matter of fact, they had started taking rocks and shaping rocks into images, and they would actually bow in front of rocks and pray to the rocks rather than pray to God. And God said they're like being an unfaithful wife. Israel, God said, has gone after other lovers. And the pastor of the town understood that because he also was married to a woman who was not faithful to him. And the children that he was helping to raise, he didn't even know if they were his. So when he said these words to Israel, like this is what's happening. He understood, he felt that this was a real thing for him. If you read the story on one occasion, Hosea gathered some food and some gifts and some money And then he started walking the streets of his city until he found his wife. And she'd actually sold herself 
to a man. And Hosea gave his money and his food and his gifts to that man so that he could buy his wife back. And Hosea illustrated that's how much God loves us. That he would give and give and give in order to take us back. But I think you understand, that's not human love. That goes beyond, would you agree that's another level love? That's agape. That's agape. How can you love like that? To love God's way is nothing short of a miracle. It's not natural. It's supernatural. For my beautiful life and yours, we need God's help. See, the good news is God can do this in you. Fruit can emerge from you in any relationship. Even when the benefits of that relationship are gone, you can still love because God is growing this kind of love in you, this kind of fruit in you. It can emerge from you when warm feelings have grown cold. It can emerge from you when the romantic stirrings have died. It can emerge from you when friendships are draining and people have betrayed you and hurt you and harmed you and neglected you. You still can grow and offer as fruit this love. Because it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is a decision of your will and a result of God's work in you. And so maybe you would need to pray, God help me with this. God help me with this. You won't get that power from yourself. Neither will I. You can't get that from human effort or just working on it. You're not going to see a lot of examples of this, but the ones you see will shine. I've written a prayer, and beginning today, for the next two months of this series, I want you to put this prayer on your bathroom mirror or on your computer monitor, uh, maybe the dashboard of your car, anywhere where you'll see it every day. And every day I want you to take a moment and let this be your daily prayer. Heavenly Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. By your power, produce in me the fruit of your Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, when you get home, you're going to cut that out from your sheet of paper. Before you tape it up, I want you to write the initials of the person that you need to love. The person it's been hard to love. The person you've imagined, there's no way I could love that person again. I want you to write their initials because that's exactly the kind of love God's going to produce in you, the kind of love that could actually love that person. You with me? You a little uncomfortable with all this? Yeah? I'm okay with that. Let's pray together. Jesus, lover of our souls. It's incredible 
that you say, if we stay connected to you, this is what will happen. We will become this kind of lover. That's incredible. That this is what you want to do in us. This is your work in us. And I think there's a fair number of people here and listening online who hunger for that. They want to love like that. So God, for those of us who will, if we stay connected to you and your life force, like the vine offers nutrients, you give us your life, our branch will produce it and the world will be better. In Jesus' name, amen.